Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a chance at a reset for one of government's biggest buying programs, building the base for the Pentagon's edge computing future, and the Zero Trust countdown at the Census Bureau. It's Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast sponsored by Norseman Defense Technologies. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rhodes. Here's what's happening now. The Army will stand up a Zero Trust program office. Army Chief Information Officer Raj Iyer says the office will operate under Army Cyber Command. Iyer says the program office structure will give his service more visibility into spending on architecture and how that architecture works. The Biden administration is looking for a new nominee to become controller at the Office of Management and Budget. It's withdrawing the name of Laurel Blatchford for that job. The controller job at OMB hasn't had a permanent occupant since Dave Mader left in January 2017. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Leaders from the Defense Department, CISA, and lots of other government agencies are coming to Cyber Talks this year. It's happening next Thursday, October 20th, at the Waldorf Astoria in downtown D.C. You can find a link to the agenda and sign up in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. General Services Administration should cancel the transactional data reporting pilot because of pricing problems, according to GSA's Office of Inspector General. The IG says the pilot doesn't, quote, result in viable pricing methodology after a six-year test run. Alan Thomas is Chief Operating Officer at IntelliBridge. He's former Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. Alan, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. We reviewed some of the challenges with this uh, Inspector General report and how it impacts fast with uh, Joe Jordan last week. And I won't get into all of the details, but basically I came away from that conversation thinking this is pretty major as far as what these recommendations mean to fast. What do you see as you look at what the IG is suggesting fast should do moving forward? Welcome, Alan. Thanks for having me. Good, good to be with you again. Yeah, I do think it's a, it is, it is an escalation, right? And certainly some of the recommendations, particularly the recommendation telling, you know, GSA's customers that they ought to go out and do their own, do their own pricing, right? As the IG essentially saying, Hey, we don't have confidence in the schedules program. If you use TDR and don't, you know, don't use the price reduction clause and the, and the commercial sales practice. So that, that I think is a, uh, is a, is a, is an escalation, right? A kind of raising, raising of the bar. You know, I thought the response was interesting. Uh, the Federal Acquisition Service is holding pretty firm. I think they see value in the uh, in the pilot. And, you know, I think the, the issue, really the core issue here is about how the IG does their work and how they how they see how they add value to what the Federal Acquisition Service does. And, um, you know, the, the, there just hasn't been a meeting of the minds yet on uh, on that. But this could potentially be an opportunity as well to uh, to explore that in more detail. How do you leverage that opportunity, Alan? Not you personally, but how does FAST, Sonny Hashmi and his team, and how does the GSA IG office leverage that opportunity, maybe under the leadership of, of Administrator Carnahan, to, to take this opportunity and turn it into some benefit? Yeah, I think you go down a level or two, actually, right, and sort of get get it, get it, you get leadership buy in on, look, we need to find a better way to work together, right? The government's going to use transactional data to inform how they negotiate with suppliers. It would be silly not to. So that's going to happen, right? The IG, I think, needs to accept that fact. And then from a Federal Acquisition Service perspective, you know, they need to say, look, the IG has some good people 
uh, on their audits team who, who can add a lot of value uh, to the work that a contracting officer in FAS is doing. How do we take those good people in, in, on the IG side and kind of plug them into this new process and new world and, and, right, and think about really how to create kind of a team approach? There can still be oversight in there. Um, and, and as I said, I think if you get, if you get leadership buy-in on that and then go down a couple levels, there are people there who uh, work together every day on the IG side and the FAS side who have great professional respect for each other and we're pretty darn smart. Um, and, you know, my sense would be to give them a little bit of space and support and see if they can come up with some some recommendations for how to move forward. Give me a little bit of a history lesson of this pilot. Um, explain, if you can, exactly what TDR is and how you were using it in the schedules program. Yeah, well, it, it predated my time even at GSA, right? I got there in June of 2017 and it started in 2016. Really, Jeff Kosis is kind of the father of TDR. It's a it's at its core, it's a great idea, right? And, and you know, industry likes it and government should like it too. I mean, it's a very it's sort of a very simple concept. It's like customer or uh, uh, customers are paying certain prices for goods and services on you know on buys they make off of off a of GSA schedule and. Uh, the government really hasn't been collecting that information, right? So it's 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 a little bit crazy when when you think about it, Francis, right? It's like, wait, we've had the schedules program in place for you know thirty plus years, and we're not wait, we're not collecting the prices paid for the things being bought off of it. So TDR seeks to remedy that, and the and the there's a little bit of an additional burden on uh, on industry in that they've got to provide that data to the government, but. The relief they get is then they're they're no longer subject to the price reduction clause and the commercial sales practice, which you know is is also burdensome and has some legal ramifications. Um, so I think you know it's a good trade. Industry likes it. Contracting officers generally like it, right? They just need um, uh, you know the FAS has been a little, struggling a little bit when I was there with getting the information out to con to contracting officers in a usable form. I think they've made some strides there. Probably probably more to do. But it doesn't mean doesn't mean you stop, right? It means you keep you keep working uh, to to that end. What was the gap as when you were there as far as getting that information out to the COs? I think initially it was it's it's fairly sensitive information, right? You know, it's it's pricing proprietary pricing information, so you don't you don't necessarily want to just drop that in a spreadsheet and start emailing it around, right? Companies say, hey, ho, well, you know, wait, 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 wait a second, right? That that. Um, you know, the government has a has a duty to protect that information. So there was a gathering of the information, but then the sensitivity of it made people say, well, wait, I don't I don't know what's the best way to share this with people in a way that doesn't you know, that won't compromise, compromise the proprietary nature of it. So I do think they've initially the 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 you know, the answer was, well, we're just going to lock it down and not share with a lot of people. It's like, well, then you're not going to create a lot of value with the information. So I think they're over fast is over that hump. And, uh, you know, the focus now is on putting it in, you know, in some sort of dashboard or something like that that can ultimately be shared out with, um, you know, with lots of contracting officers so that they can, you know, they can use it to help to help negotiate good prices for the government. I'm going to get away. Well, that's not true. I'm going to use the IG recommendations to try to get away from the IG recommendations and get to the points that they're making rather than the way that they made them. Um, this work says after six years, TDR pilot still hasn't resulted in a viable pricing methodology that ensures compliance with the Competition and Contracting Act's requirements for orders to result in the lowest overall cost alternative to meet the government's needs. What, what, if we're starting from scratch, this is a clean sheet, and maybe it, it requires thinking about 
start if we were starting this pilot from scratch today how would we do it today any differently if at all from the way that they're doing it now six years in or or are they headed in the right direction and this is just something that takes time and and they just haven't maybe gotten as far as the ig would like i think well i i think look the ig doesn't like at, at at the core the issue is the id doesn't want to move away from commercial sales practice and, and prc right so, that, so that's you know that that i don't i don't think you know doing tdr better is going to satisfy them right I they, see. they want to go back to the old regime i do think this concept of you know lowest overall cost i think most contracting officers and most buying customers in government would say i don't know if i want the lowest overall cost i want the best value mm-hmm. right and sometimes that might be that might be something that is the lowest cost, but oftentimes it's not, right? It's, you know, it's something where, you know, hey, the price has been competitively determined, but it may not be the lowest price. And there are some other, you know, some other components of that purchase um, that, that you know, that I think provide me better value to, to satisfy to satisfy my mission. So in terms of what would FAS do differently if they could, you know, if they had a sort of crystal ball or you could, you know, you could do a greenfield project, you know, I think, I do think they would put more effort into thinking about when you collect this data, how do you make it usable for operational contracting officers every day, right? I think there was a focus on getting the data and relieving industry of the burden, mm-hmm. um, but but perhaps not enough thought initially into well, how would we make this uh, this really valuable information useful for you know a schedule a schedules contracting officer. So I think. They could do it over again. They probably they probably think a little bit more about how it's actually used on the back end. Um, one of the notes that I scribbled when I was talking to Joe about this last week was uh, cost and price are not the same thing. And you just basically reiterated that thought. I mean, this is the argument that they've been having in the Pentagon for 10 or 15 years about lowest price technically acceptable, right? It's the same argument. It is. It is very, very, very similar. Yeah. All right. Um, what do you see as a potential... Uh, good outcome of this. I mean, I, with all due respect to the inspector general uh, office, it sounds to me like Sonny's response basically was, well, sorry, but we're going to keep going. I, I I think that was it. Yeah, they're, they're right. They're, they're, they're pressing on. I think they feel like they're making progress, right? And that, you know, the more data you collect and the more usable you make it, the more, the more value you see uh, out of it. So yeah, I, I don't see any, I don't see any stopping uh, TDR and and uh, this probably won't be the last report from the from the IG on this also right I think there's there's probably there's probably some things some <laughs> some things in the works uh, already right that that will pop out in uh, in report form as I said I think you know if you really want to solve this uh, this issue you know, you've got to get a working level group together with a with some leadership buy-in and a little bit of space to develop some recommendations really about how the IG, at least in this part of their business, has to adopt a different business model, right? And they're, they're you know, that, <laughs> that, um, that, 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 that can be tough. That can be tough to face for, for some folks, right? Alan Thomas, great to talk to you as always. Thanks for your insight. Thank you. You can find a link to the GSA IG report in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, coming on tomorrow's show, improving the innovation operation at Customs and Border Protection. Marie Mack of the Government Accountability Office is on tomorrow's Daily Scoop podcast to discuss that. You can find that show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and always at thedailyscooppodcast.com.
leaders of every military service list computing at the edge as one of their leading capabilities requirements. The next level of data transfer is edge device to edge device. David Hoon is chief technology officer at Norseman Defense Technologies. He's former design team lead for joint information environment enterprise operations at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Norseman Defense Technology sponsors today's Daily Scoop podcast. Dave, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. What's the infrastructure requirement look like for a warfighting organization that wants to be able to do what I just referenced, shift data from place to place without having to bring it back home and send it back out? Welcome, Dave. Well, first, thank you for having me on the show. Um, So that's a great question. And, And really what we're seeing is more so not eliminating the need to move data from edge to to cloud or to central, but we're trying to minimize the amount of data that has to move. And what that means is shifting compute and processing and intelligence and trained machine learning models out to the edge, collecting the data at the edge, performing those operations using trained models, and then sending the results or the intelligence, the information um, back to other applications to be used especially in a warfighting operation to be used as intelligence or lead in for some other operation. What does that change in the way that these organizations are using data and moving that data mean for the way that they're managing it and for the way that they curate it? So today, what what we see is a lot of organizations, when they talk about big data or machine learning or AI, they talk about moving the bulk of the data from the edge to a central data lake or repository, be that in the cloud or a data center. Um, What this means is shifting um, the mentality of that to take data governance into perspective, understanding what you have at the edge and shifting the operation to the edge. Another way of saying that is taking the question to the data as opposed to taking the data to the question. What's the difference in those two configurations as far as what the technology support for each of the services or for the DOD as a whole has to do or has to have or has to provide? It's really implementing a enterprise-wide data fabric, being able to manage your data in a way cohesively across the entire enterprise and having visibility from a top-down approach and understanding what you have at the edge and where the value of that edge data comes into the enterprise application and performing those operations at the edge. In some cases, it still will be necessary to move bulk data or raw data to a centralized repository, but we're really trying to help customers eliminate the need to lift and shift their data. Does that change, does all of these changes that we're talking about here change the best practices that an organization needs to use to be able to manage this stuff effectively? No, the best practices are really changing. So as we as we implement high-performance computing and AI with machine learning, Um, it really changes the need for how we operate or manage data. So the thinking, you know, two years ago or three years ago is we have to keep data because we don't know what kinds of questions we're going to answer. Today, I think if we have an understanding from a data strategy, you know, an enterprise leader from data scientists and analysts, we can understand what questions we can answer today with the data. And we we can take those operations and store the results of those operations and drop the rest of the data on the floor, or at the very least, move it to a very low cost storage solution, solution, lowering the cost of storage for the enterprise. You talked about policy and compliance, and I, I wonder how you write 
doctrine, how you write best practices, uh, how you write governance policies for an environment where the number one rule is the plan goes out the window at first contact. It strikes me that that that's really as fluid as the warfighting environment potentially. It, it truly is. So again, starting from a from a top down approach and understanding what your mission is and finding the value in the data and being able to take action on that data is, is first and foremost the the most important activity that you're going to take against that data. Um, and and as you said, when you have first contact, all rules go out the window, which, which means you've got to have a solid foundation and you've got to understand um, inherently within the organization at a functional level what you're doing with that data. You mentioned artificial intelligence a moment ago, Dave, and I wonder what that does, adding that technology into the mix does for the way that one thinks about data management, data governance, curation, and so on. Because the way that it's been explained to me a couple of times is um, AI is the vehicle that will drive the department to a certain destination. Data is the fuel that juices the vehicle. And then the ultimate destination you drive that to is whatever the warfighting solution is or, or back office solution for that matter. Am I thinking about it the right way? And how do you, how does one go about strategizing with AI the way that we're seeing, for example, in the CDAO office now at DOD and so on? So I, I think you are thinking about it the right way. Um, and the way I like to think about AI is, you know, in the data management space, data management is just another another uh, domain for applying artificial intelligence. Um, so being able to bring data in related to data management operations, bring data in related to practical use of other data um, within the artificial intelligence and machine learning architecture, and putting that together to understand really best practices within your individual organization um, and the activities and actions that you should take on that data. So, so again, you know, to shorten that up, data management is just another problem that you can apply AI technology against. Is there a way to anticipate where this is all going? Is there, and, and, and if so, I wonder where that comes from, whether it comes from the technology or comes from the people that are involved with it or the evolving uh, potential uh, use cases, you know, that landscape. What, what does that look like in your view, Dave? So I think it's hard to predict where everything ends up, but I think trending over the last uh, couple of years, what, what we're seeing in commercial space and, and really in the federal and the DOD space is that there truly is a focus on data being a, a core asset and a, and, a, and a value to an organization. So whether that's a value in, in the, the information itself, a value in, in the mission or mission effectiveness, um, you know, those two can be debated as to what's more important for one organization versus the next, but really treating data as, as an asset and as a, a key differentiator um, in the warfighting mission, I think is really what drives where we need to go. And as technology improves from a compute and processing, and even from a network transport um, perspective, we're going to see more and more advanced capabilities extending to the very edge of the data or to the edge device itself. What does success look like in this space, Dave? How does one gauge it? How does one know it when one sees it? Oh, I don't think you'll ever have uh, one answer to what defines success. 
Um, but I think in, in each mission, you're going to have success criteria that you plan to and you engineer to. And I think if you implement common best practices for for architecting applications and, and mission systems, you're going to know when you have success locally within that mission. And as technology evolves, you can redefine uh, you know the art of the possible over time. And it strikes me too if it's if success is based on knowing it when you see it then you can also make pretty quick decisions about what the next level of success is that you want to achieve, whatever that may be for the, the mission that you're encountering. Is that fair to say? That, that is fair to say. And especially, you know, today, as we shift from traditional development delivery models into a more agile, it allows us to make decisions quicker and more effectively based on uh, current mission priorities. What should someone know for the future in this space that uh, may not be necessary or may not be relevant for somebody that's a practitioner today, but is over the horizon and that person should be learning about now anticipating the future? Oh, that's a tough question. But um, <laughs> really, you know, what I would say is, you know, there's really no wrong place to start. Um, and, and what you don't know today is, is not detrimental to your organization. You need to start somewhere. You need to be honest about where you are and on a journey to effective data management and operations and AI and machine learning um, and, and have a goal for where you want to be. So I think where you want to be is, is where each piece of data, if data is acted on um, or produced and it has value in your organization, that you're able to recognize what that value is and either begin a strategy or a plan today for for achieving that value and recognizing the return on that value, or at least storing the data so that you can in the future. Dave Hoon of Norseman Defense Technologies, great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. You can read more about edge computing in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Today's show is sponsored by Norseman Defense Technologies, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, and Intel, featuring solutions like the HPE Apollo 6500 Gen 10 system, powered by Intel Xeon scalable processors. To learn more, go to norseman.com. Federal agencies have aggressive deadlines to meet to fulfill the Biden administration's zero trust executive order. Bo Hauser's the chief information security officer at the Census Bureau. He tells Scoop News Group's Wyatt Cash his list of zero trust tasks is long. A couple of things to highlight. Obviously, we are part of the Department of Commerce and we're following the Department of Commerce's uh, plan for zero trust. We just recently developed a zero trust reference architecture at Census. Um, it really taught us a lot to kind of go through that exercise and, and get all of the technical SMEs, um, you know, in line with how Zero Trust changes things. So I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation with you uh, today to talk more about some of those details and how we work through that. Well, terrific. Well, one of the questions that often comes up is how agencies are trying to implement Zero Trust um, principles across multiple networks or domains or even sort of functional silos. How are you trying to address that at the Census Bureau? Yeah, one of the things that we uh, have prioritized at Census is our cloud migration. And I and we think that the that migrating to cloud will simplify a lot of the challenges that some organizations might face otherwise. Uh, cloud has a lot of capabilities native to the cloud services, and taking advantage of those, I think, is a way for us to accelerate it. As you know, um, Zero Trust moves away from what we're used to from a role-based access control 
it moves into an attribute-based access control, right? And so part of that um, attribute model is additional technologies like TIC 3.0, we're, we're figuring out how we're gonna do that in the cloud. And then of course, SASE, Secure Access Service Edge, so to replace our VPN, our traditional VPN. So those are some of the capabilities that are on our, our cloud roadmap that are gonna really enable zero trust for us at Census. Well, I'm aware that Census went through a very, um, you know, in, um, fundamental um, uh, overhaul with uh, the cloud getting ready for the 2020 census. So in many ways you've put a lot in place. So I'm all the more curious to learn, you know, federal agencies do have a lot of additional compliance requirements under FISMA, for example. Um, what concerns do you have about kind of aligning uh, zero trust with those kinds of um, tr more traditional security requirements that sort of so-called check the box approach to security. Right, right. That's always a struggle. Um, and, you know, we, we certainly wrestled with a lot of those things during the 2020 census, and we learned a lot from that. Now that there's so much guidance coming out and, and direction uh, coming out around zero trust as sort of the next evolution of IT across the federal government, uh, the same sort of, um, you know, trade-offs and, and negotiations are happening. One of the things that concerns me is how difficult it is to uh, harmonize the new guidance coming out with all the existing guidance. And I know that there's a lot of effort, OMB puts in a lot of effort, and on the Hill, there's a lot of effort to streamline these things as best they can. But the problem is the new guidance is coming out so much faster than the guidance around the, you know, the harmonization of all these things. So we end up struggling with what's relevant, what's not relevant, where do we, what do we prioritize? What do we not prioritize? And we spend a lot of energy there. So that is a big challenge for us, but it is getting better. You know, we do see it getting better and we see that improving across the federal government, but it just takes time. Well, I know you're not alone in that. Yeah. Um, and I guess lastly, um, you know, what is the Census Bureau, um, you know, how, how are you planning to unify approaches across the so-called five pillars of zero trust around identities, devices, applications, uh, you know, data and networks and so forth, um, so that uh, essentially you're getting closer to being able to automate and have greater visibility across all five of those pillars of zero trust? Right. Um, and it's absolutely critical to do exactly what you said. You have to um, you have to have uniformity across a lot of the capabilities when it comes to managing identity. We know is absolutely critical to zero trust. Right. And we know that identity extends to the device. Right. We got our user identity. We got the device identity. And then we've got other attributes that we can use in this new model of attribute based access control. And so. Uh, what we're trying to do is really get a handle on these fundamental capabilities so that we know who the person is that we're giving access to. We know what device they're on and we confirm it's the device we expect them to be on. And then we're, we're figuring out what other attributes we want to also include like geographic location. If you, if you always connect from the DC area, then we're going to restrict you to the DC area, right? As an additional attribute for that. So uh, it is absolutely critical. Again, cloud and cloud service providers understand how critical these things are. And so they're doing a lot of this for us by building it into a lot of their services. So that's helping us a lot. Um, and so, you know, SASE is a big part of it from a, 
device management standpoint. So we're doing a lot. We've got a lot of pieces in place and, and we're, we're working hard to kind of bring it all together into this, this new approach to IT. Bo Hauser, the CISO at the Census Bureau with FedScoop's Wyatt Cash. You can find a link to the video of that conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.